Well, good morning. It is exciting about being here today. Uh, my name is Nick Jackson. I haven't been here for the month of July, so I feel like I need to introduce myself. Um, uh, I was able to take the month uh, off from preaching to spend just more time in prayer and just planning and preparing for sermons as we come up in this fall. And so that was a, a huge blessing. It was a blessing for me uh, just to be able to do that and, and to be able to plan ahead. It was a blessing to be able to have Jake here who's able just to um, so confidently and competently lead. And so that was just a huge grace. Um, my kids were very excited about being here last week. I was over, I preached over at Ozon's church. Um, he's over over in uh, Roy now, and so I had the blessing of going over there and preaching there, and my kids said, well, since we're here in Washington, can we please go to Timberline? And so that is where they came, so they were excited about that. Um, This morning, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews, so I'll go ahead and have you turn there. We're in a series, and it's called Just Church. It's, it's, it's not complicated, just church, and what we wanted to do was just look at several different facets of the church. And so last week, uh, Jake preached on what we might call wide discipleship. There he emphasized the need for us to care for one another and for the body of Christ to come alongside, serve one another, and to build one another up. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about what what can be called deep discipleship. And deep discipleship is just um, intentionally growing in greater knowledge and understanding of God's word. And over the years here at Timberline, I've seen that God has just grown us in our love for one another. But I have also seen a need for just greater theological depth. In the past, Churches used to have like a Sunday school hour where they would spend time learning importance, um, important doctrines. But most churches, and us included, don't practice Sunday school anymore. And so that leaves this area where, where, do, we, where do we find that time? And so over the last few years, I've been praying and discussing with the elders, how can we begin to introduce discipleship training classes? In fact, Uh, What's exciting is many of you over the years have asked, how can we begin as a church to provide greater theological training? And so it comes with great excitement that today, I can say that day has come. Um, With having Jake, oh, it's super exciting. Uh, With with having Jake, uh, one of our other full-time pastors here, um, we're now going to begin offering discipleship training classes. The first one will begin this fall. The next one will begin in the spring. Um, And we'll talk more about those in the upcoming weeks. In fact, Jake will come up at the end of today and answer just a few questions. But what I want to do today is just show from Scripture the need for every disciple to grow and their knowledge and love for God's word. So one of the things that we do is every week, Jake or I will will stand and and we'll we'll give the mission of the church here in the morning as we do the welcome. We'll say, we are here to make disciples who make disciples. And if you remember, that comes from Matthew 28. And right after that, Jesus says, go baptizing people. And then he says also, and teach them all that I have commanded you So part of disciple-making is teaching. It is about doctrine. And just about every one of Paul's prayers uh, for the church, he prays that we would grow in our knowledge of God's word so that we would live worthy lives of our calling. Doctrine is necessary for godliness. And so today we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Many of you know we spent a lot of time in Hebrews, so hopefully this will be a little bit of a refresher. Um, The church of Hebrews 
They're, they're experiencing um, difficulty within the church. They're beginning to drift from the gospel. They've been persecuted because of their faith. They're tempted to abandon the faith altogether. And so we might say, well, why is the church in this perilous condition? And it's because they become spiritually lazy and theologically immature. And so the main point that I want us to see this morning is that we are called to learn Christ so that we will live and love like Christ. And so with that, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand, and we're going to read chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 in Hebrews. We stand at the reading of God's Word as a means of reminding us that God's Word comes to us inspired for the purpose of equipping us, encouraging us, so that we would be ready for every good work that God has called us to do. Chapter 5, verse 11 to 14. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me pray. Father, we, we praise you this morning that we have the opportunity to come here and to gather as your church, as those who have been justified and sanctified, adopted into your family. And God, we thank you for just the day and age in which we live, in which we can all have Bibles, whether hard copies or digital copies, that we can know your word. God, may we never take it for granted the amount of the, the access that we have to your Bible today. And God, I pray that as we open up your word today and that we see the truth of your scripture, that we would understand your word is a gift of grace from you to us that the Spirit uses to awaken us in faith, to build us up in our faith, to grow us in our love for Christ, that we would live and love like Christ. So God, bless us now as we look into your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So the author begins and he says, about this we have much to say. So that ought to make us ask the question, what is this? What what is the author talking about? What is it that he wants to further explain? Well, just preceding this text, in fact, if you go back to chapter 4, verse 16, the author introduces Jesus as our high priest. And then in chapters 5, 1 through 10, he begins to unpack the significance of of what it means that Jesus is our high priest. And so we're not gonna go into all that today, but I encourage you, if you want, go back to listen to our series in Hebrews where we look at the immense importance of Jesus' priesthood. But at the moment, what I want us to see is that there's a problem with the church. Going back to verse 11, the author says he wants to unpack the priesthood of Jesus, but he can't. And the reason he can't, he says, it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. So the first thing we're see is that the church has regressed into theological immaturity. Now, last summer, my wife and I, we, we got up early one morning and said, hey, let's go paddleboarding. 
That sounds like a great idea. We, we live at the north end of Long Lake, and so we were going to go all the way down to the south end, and it was this wonderful, leisurely little paddleboard that we took. It took about 25 minutes to go from north end to south end. We didn't realize even there was this nice little breeze that was just carrying us forth. We get down to the south end. We hang out for a while. We say, well, let's, let's head back. Well, heading back was a little bit different. It was hard. In fact, when we tried to go back, uh, we didn't realize that then the wind had even picked up more. And while it only took us 25 minutes to go from north to south, it took us about an hour and a half to go from south to north. And, and what we noticed is as we paddled, if we stopped paddling, guess what happened? We went backwards. And so we couldn't stop paddling. And then we started laughing. And when we started laughing, what did we do? We stopped paddling, which made us laugh more, which we kept going further and further back. That's what's happened to the church theologically. In verse 11, we read the church has become dull of hearing. They're sluggish in their ears. They hear the word of God preached, but they're not really paying attention. Nothing that you ever do, right? You're like, wait, what? You ever get into a plane? And the stewardess stands up and says, can I have your attention? What do you do, Ear, earbuds? That's like what happens here. They're hearing the word preached, but they're not paying attention. So notice in verse 12, the author basically says, you ought to be teachers. You've been Christians for so long. You know the truth. You should be teaching others the truth, but you're not even qualified to teach. Why? He says, because you need the basic principles of the oracles of God taught to you again. In other words, they need to learn the ABCs of the gospel once again. They don't know these things. Their lives ought to be built on these things, but because they've become sluggish, lazy, they've actually become apathetic in their faith, and they've forgotten the very basic truths that have saved them. Listen, if we're not actively, intentionally growing in our faith, we don't stay in like a neutral resting area. I think we think that. We'll just stay here. But we actually begin to regress. Rather, just like my wife and I went backwards when we stopped paddling, so the church has regressed spiritually. And to further drive home this point, the author then says, the church is not able to eat solid food. Rather, they're like a baby that can only handle milk. And the word child in verse 13 can refer to an infant or a child who's untrained and unlearned. So just think about this. Can you imagine a 25-year-old acting like an infant and still needing to nurse on his mother's breast because he's not matured to solid food? Like, would that not be like a sight that we'd cringe at? Like, what is happening? Something would be horribly wrong at that moment, and that's the state of the church. They ought to be mature. In fact, they were maturing, but they've regressed back to infancy. And so when we come to texts like this, what we're supposed to do then is, is to ask it to ourselves and go, where is, how am I doing in my own spiritual condition at this moment? How are we doing as a church? How am I doing individually? Am I progressing in my faith? Or have I begun to regress? Have I become sluggish in my ears, dull of hearing? Have we become comfortable and familiar with Christianity that we just kind of wake up, we go to church on Sundays, or Bible sits on the coffee table, but 
Are we really growing? So I encourage you to, to wrestle with that. Seek what the Spirit is saying to you today. And, and if that is you, then consider this as God's wake-up call to you that we cannot stay in a state of immaturity because there's, there's at least two things that happen, at least from this text that we see. Number one, if we stay in a state of immaturity, we're unable to discern between right and wrong. Look at verse 13. The author says, the infants are unskilled in the word of righteousness. He then contrasts the mature person with the immature person, in verse, or the immature with the mature person, verse 14, who's able to discern between good and evil. Spiritual immaturity always leads to spiritual immorality, every time. In fact, we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul will rebuke the church because they're, they're spiritually immature, which is, which is why they're so divisive and they're, they're acting in ungodly ways. And we face, just today in our own culture, an onslaught of, of incredible difficult decisions every single day. Critical race theory, transgender revolution, political ideologies, those all combine to make up the very air that we breathe. Objective truth is being attacked today with reckless abandonment. Christian words are being redefined. Gender is being redefined to be a subjective feeling rather than a biological fact. And on top of all of that, we have Christians that are saying, hey, let's, let's not divide on doctrine. Let's, let's just be known for our love. Let's make sure that we just care for one another. Let's not bring in any of that Bible stuff that would make us divide on things. And while we ought to love like Christ, and desi our desire must ultimately not be that we're accepted by those who reject Jesus. And so I ask, you, ask yourselves this. When we look at the state of many churches, is this not why churches have compromised on the inerrancy and the authority of God's word today? That we become dull of hearing. We've become lazy with the word of God. The world does not have a problem with you and I loving one another. Do you know that? There's no problem. If you want to go out and love people, the world's like, that's great. The world has a problem with Jesus and biblical truth that would affirm that he is the son of God who died on the cross and three days later rose again from the grave and he is the way, the truth, and life. The world has a problem with that. And anything that wants to herald that truth, that's what the world will recoil at. It doesn't have a problem with us loving one another. And the way that we're going to know how to stand firm in an ungodly world, in a world where there's a lot of ideologies and, and things that are flying in contradiction to the word is by knowing God's word. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, Jesus gave offices like the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry that we would build up the body of Christ. God gives teaching-type ministries focused on the word for the building up of the church that no matter where we live, what the context is in, that we would know how to respond. And so the first thing we just see is that there's a difficulty in understanding right and wrong. How do we proceed in our culture? But secondly, we read that we might fall all the way from the faith altogether if we stay in a state of immaturity. Right after our passage in Hebrews 5, the author wants the church to know that if they don't progress in their faith, they may fall away from ever and never be restored. In fact, let me just read Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. I want to read all of this for you. 
For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. The author is giving this warning as a means of moving the church back to obedience. I encourage you to go back to listen to our Hebrew series where we unpack this whole passage. But the warning here, it's a means of grace to prevent the sin. Have you ever come up to one of those fences that has a sign on it and it says guard dog on duty and then there's like a picture of this like vicious looking dog? Do you know why it has that sign on it? So you don't go across the fence. The sign is meant to prevent you from crossing into that backyard where what? Pain will happen, right? That's what this warning is. It's a means of grace that the author is saying, you can't stay in a state of immaturity. If you do, there will be disaster for you. You must progress to maturity. It's a means of grace for the church. So this is the problem that the church is facing. They've, they've regressed in their spiritual maturity. They become apathetic to the word. They're dull of hearing. They're sluggish in their ears. And so the solution is the church must progress to theological maturity. That's our next point. The church must progress into theological maturity. And we see that. Look, if you look at verse 13, it's contrasted with verse 14. In verse 13, we see the immature is unskilled in the word of righteousness, so how do we become skilled in the word of righteousness? Verse 14, solid food is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The church needs meat. I'm sure this is a passage that's meant to say Christians are not to be vegans or vegetarians. I'm sure that's the primary application of this text. Just saying. We're having a picnic later today. There'll be meat at the picnic. Don't be, no, it, it, it's probably okay to be a vegan, probably, maybe a vegetarian. But, uh, but the church needs solid food. Can't stay on milk. Notice what happens when the church grows in their theological understanding of the gospel. Verse 14, they possess the power of discernment. They're able to distinguish between good and evil. So no matter what the winds are, no matter what the waves of the culture are, as they begin to blow, as they begin to, to wash upon the church, we know how to respond when we understand Scripture. And we see this truth everywhere in God's Word. In fact, let me, let me read a few passages for us in God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's a good question, right? How can we live in godliness? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If the world is, is spiritual darkness, then God's word is the light that shows us how to walk in godliness every single day. In fact, just think about this. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is devoted to the word of God. I think that's to show the significance of God's word, the need for us to be dedicated to the word of God the role that it plays in our life. 
in Psalm, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 25. Many of you know this. This is the, the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it's been founded on the rock. If we hear and obey the truths of God's word, we are founded on the rock of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Many of you know this passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Fathers, you want to know how you're going to shepherd your children in godliness? Mothers, do you know how to, how to love your children? How to help them combat the very things that they're going through at school or anywhere else in life? Husbands and wives, do you know how you're, how you're to love one another? Do you know how your marriage is going to picture that of the church and Christ? How they love one another? Christians, how are we going to be able to identify ungodly sayings like, God helps those who help themselves? That's not in scripture. That's Ben Franklin. Like, how are we going to understand and, and know these things? It's through the word of God. The word of God is what trains you. The word of God is, is what equips you to be a father, to be a mother, to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a student, to be a worker, to be a neighbor. It's the word of God that is sufficient in wherever you are to equip you and to strengthen you that you would live a life of godliness no matter what is happening in your context. In fact, in Romans 10, 17, we read that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you are a believer here today, the reason you are a believer is because God used the truth of scripture to open your eyes that you would see the beauty of the gospel and you believed in him. It's why you're a believer. Scripture was the means in which you came to faith and guess what? Scripture will be the means in which you continue to grow in your faith. God's word is a primary means in which God reveals his character, the gospel, our sinfulness, and the purpose of all creation that we would bring glory to God. The spirit of God uses the word to convict us. It uses the word to strengthen us, to provide us instruction, to give us assurance of our salvation. The word of God reveals to us the truthfulness of scripture. It reveals to us the, the glory of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews soon, starting in September. We're going to start a series in Hebrews, and we're going to look at eight different parts of the gospel as we walk through that book. And in Galatians 3.1, this is what we read. Paul says to the church, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, now think about that. No one at the church in Galatia was at Golgotha that day when Jesus was crucified. So it's like me telling you, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And you would naturally say, wait, how? I wasn't there. But Paul can say that because when he preached the word of God to them, it revealed the truth of Christ to them that he can literally say, the word of God has opened your eyes that you would see that Christ was crucified and rose again three days later. It's through the preaching of the word 
that God uses that we would taste and see the very glory of God. Notice, every time you open up God's word at home, you're receiving the grace of Jesus. Do you know that? Every time. That's why when you're in Paul's letters, he begins with grace to you. And at all the end of his letters, what does he say? Grace be with you. So as you open up his word, he's saying grace to you. And as you put down the word and you go about your day, grace with you as you go that day. Every time you come into scripture, God is giving you grace. Grace that you would know Jesus. Grace that you would love Jesus. Grace that you would live like Jesus. I don't know of a better invitation than to be in the word every single day than God himself saying, every time you come in, I will give you my word, my grace, and it is sufficient to strengthen you that you would live a godly life no matter what context you're in. So husbands, you want to grow in what it is to be a husband? Be a man of God that shepherds your wife and your kids? Know the word. Wives, you want to submit to your husbands? You want to be a godly wife that builds him up at all times? Know the word. Students, how do you, how do you submit to your parents and, and to all the authorities that are in this culture? How do you live a life of godliness? Know the word. How do you stand out at work as, as, as one who, who knows God, who has a character that is above reproach? Knowing God's word. It is God's word that is sufficient to strengthen you, to equip you, to transform you, to be more and more like Christ. But there's a couple of objections, I think, sometimes when, when people, when Christians say, oh, so wait, we're, we're going to spend more time in classes? Like, we're going to have more theological training? Like, doesn't theology divide? Like, that could be a bad thing, right? Well, yes and no. Theology does divide, and and yes, it does. And each week we recite the Apostles' Creed. Like Paul came up here earlier and said, this is the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of biblical truths. We say them every single week. Why? Because it's the truths of the gospel that unite us as the people of God. Do you know that? Like we're not coming here because we all have the same hobbies because we all live on the same street, because we all work in the same place. We come here because we have a common Savior, Jesus Christ. And apart all the differences that we have, and there's a lot of differences that we have in this room, but what overcomes every single one of those differences is the gospel of Christ that unites us. And so every, every Sunday morning we come, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed, and it's those truths that unite you and I together as brothers and sisters, but not just you and I, but Christians from all over the globe and all throughout history. Our relationship with one another because of Christ is far more significant than any biological relationship you can have. Biological relationships are in earthly relationships. Spiritual relationships in Christ are for all of eternity. It's these truths that unite us together. And so yes, theology does unite us as believers, and yet at the same time, it, it will divide us from unbelievers. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that we're to be salt and light in this world. Why are we salt and light? It's not because we will ourselves to live different than other people. It's because we've been united to Christ, and he now lives in us. 
Jesus makes us salty. Jesus makes us light in a dark world. And yes, when we live out our theology in the world, there'll be some who reject us. Jesus said that in John 15. But there'll also be many who will trust in Jesus and glorify God when he returns because of how we live. Our goal must never be that everyone would like us. If that is our goal, then Jesus himself failed miserably. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? I mean, this is like the easiest win ever, right? Jesus can't mess this one up. And yet the rich young ruler ends up walking away because he doesn't like the answer. And what does Jesus not do? Go after him. You must believe in Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind. And it's the truth of the gospel that will separate us from the world. And yet that's what makes us distinct so that we would preach the gospel, that people would come and believe in the word. Another objection is, doesn't theology puff one up? We don't want to become self-righteous people. So we have to be careful. If we're going to start doing theological classes, we don't want to just become self-righteous. Well, a theology that puffs one up Puffs one up is not a head problem. That's a heart problem. The more we grow in our knowledge and love for Christ, we ought not to become more prideful, but we ought to become more humble, more loving, and more serving. As we grow in our knowledge of Scripture, our mind is further transformed into Christ, which is why Paul says in Philippians 2 that we have the mind of Christ, and then he says that therefore we ought to count others more significant than ourselves. When Paul talks about the church become growing in godliness, he describes them in humble service to one another. Each week when I stand before you or Jake stands before you and we give the mission, we say our mission is to make disciples who make disciples. And then we often follow that up by saying that means that we are to learn Jesus so we live in love like him. Learning Jesus is not some academic exercise. Like there's not going to be a theology test that you're going to be given that if you pass, you get into heaven. It's not how it works. But rather, Learning Christ is a transformative process that every week that we come under the word of God through the preaching, every day that you open up God's word and you're studying at our home, and as we start these discipleship training classes, the goal is not just to increase our, the quantity of, of knowledge that we have, but it's to help us to transform and be more like Christ. Jesus has saved us that we would be made like him and sharing his glory for all of eternity. And right now, that's what God's doing in your life. That's what God is doing through, through hard things, through good things, through all the things that are taking place. He's using his word as a means in which would, would mold you so you would know how to respond in all aspects of life so that you would be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And the primary way this happens is through the word of God. I tell my kids this all the time, and I think we, we need to be reminded of this. When you look in the mirror, you don't necessarily, when you're, when you're a child, see yourself grow, right? You don't. But when, you, when you're like age five, and you look at yourself at, in January, then you look at yourself in December, all of a sudden you grew like five inches, right? But you never saw yourself grow. It's a slow, steady process. 
That's exactly what it is when we come into God's word. It's this slow, transformative process that Jesus is teaching us to be dependent upon him every single day, that his grace is good, that his grace is sufficient, that his grace will, will strengthen you and transform you, that you would be a salt and light in this world, that you would love others as Christ has loved you. And so what is it that the church of Hebrews needs if they're going to resist the temptation to abandon the faith and live firm in the gospel? What is it that you and I are going to need if we're going to live godly lives at our home, in our work, in our neighborhoods? How are we going to continue to be transformed into the image of Christ? It's through God's word. It says we continue to mature in the word, we become more like Christ. And so that's our desire here at the church. That's what we see is the desire of the Apostle Paul and the authors throughout the New Testament is that the church would be strengthened in their knowledge of God, that they would live worthy lives of the gospel. And so we're going to be starting these uh, Timberline, or not Timberline, uh, discipleship training classes um, for the purpose of growing us in doctrine, growing us in knowledge. Again, not not for academic, not for a test, but so that we'd be more and more transformed into the knowledge of Christ, so that we'd become a more humble, loving, serving people. So as we go out from here every single week, we'd be more equipped to love and serve those that we come in contact with. Our desire is that we'd be like strong, like oak trees with strong, deep roots and the knowledge of God's word, that we would stand firm in whatever the storm is. And so Jake will give more um, understanding of that just even at the end of today and then the upcoming weeks. Uh, but what I want to do is, is pray, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. Our Father, our Father, we come to you now, and we praise you. We praise you that you have graciously given us your word, your word that is sufficient to strengthen us, your word that is that is able to equip us for every good work. And God, and I pray uh, as we start classes here at our church, that Lord, we would be excited about them and that you would use them, that we would become a more humble, more gracious, more dependent upon you, that in all of life, we would shine forth your grace and your glory that when people see us in and outside the church, they would see your character within us. God, just as the church of Hebrews needed to repent of being apathetic and progress in the maturity, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has become apathetic in their faith, who has begun to regress in their knowledge, who has become lazy, that, Lord, that you would use this, this word today by the power of your spirit to awaken our hearts, to, to pinch us, to set a fire within our faith and our hearts that we would desire solid food and that we would every day wake up excited to feast upon your word, knowing that it's sufficient to strengthen us, knowing that you satisfy us, knowing that it's in your word that we taste and we see your goodness. Father, we praise you today. In your name, Jesus, amen.